I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview was an utter delight to do. Uh, Kathy Eldon, uh, you are going to absolutely have to spend time listening to this interview. It's, it's, it's really not that long, and it's going to fly by for you. Kathy and I touch on a little bit of everything. She's wonderful. She's delightful. She's, she's got so much passion and energy and, and a real commitment to, to turning the world upside down and, and has a history to, to prove it. She's got the evidence and some of it's empirical, but most, most of it's all based and rooted in relationship and story. And that is just what makes her so ridiculously compelling to listen to. So, um, uh, have I said enough? Uh, she's got a book, her memoir in the heart of a life. She has many books. She's involved in a film that's soon to be released. Uh, the journey is the destination about her son, who was a journalist, the youngest writer's journalist at 22, who was, uh, well, I'm going to let you find out more about it. She, she's involved with an organization called uh, creativevisions.org. In fact, the founder is still very much involved there. You're going you're gonna to hear about uh, compassion. You're going to hear about being fearless and about global tribes and about what it means to, to actually make a difference in the world and about creative activism and why Kathy believes that life really does begin beyond our comfort zones. Uh, what a delight. I'm already looking forward to part two. Kathy Eldon is coming up. And uh, for more uh, information about podcasts and my speaking and my writing, davidpecklive.com, rabble.ca. Stay tuned. Buckle up. Kathy Eldon coming your way. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a uh, truly another uh, very special guest here today, Kathy Eldon, who I kind of met, but from a distance. We never, Kathy, we never shook hands, but I'm hoping we made eye contact when you were You're sitting that on really that. You're a good-looking guy in the fourth row <laughs> back left. Was that with us? Seat twelve, seat twelve B. That's where I was. That was sitting. it. That yeah, was me. I knew yeah, it. yeah. So, Kathy, thanks for joining us today. I, I've, it's a real privilege to have you on the show. So Kathy Eldon, I mean, where do we begin for crying out loud? KathyEldon.com, we've got Creative Visions, we've got your son's work, we've got the books you've written, you've got a TEDx talk coming up. Oh, and a film, I think, that's coming out soon. 
that you, oh, you might want to talk yes, about. Absolutely. <laughs> we might want to just casually yeah. buy it. Absolutely. <laughs> where, do, where do we begin with Kathy Eldon? This is the question. Um, you know, <laughs> when you say it like that, I, I, all I see is what I haven't done. Wow. Honest, I'm fixated. <clears throat> wow. It gives me focused eternally on the prospect of so much more ahead mm. and so much to do in this ridiculously uh, challenging world, mm. divisive, hateful rhetoric and nonsense at a time when if we can pull together, when we can pull together, we really can do extraordinary things and create the world of our choice instead of something that seems to be fragmenting and uh, in front of our very eyes. Don't you, like it. You don't, you don't, so it sounds to me though, you don't carry that, you know, when you see all, all, all that I see is what I haven't done, you know, I, I think I share that to some degree, but you, you don't seem to carry that as a burden or do you? Well, that's a be- beautiful question. Um, I think for the past 23 years, it was a real burden mm. uh, because I had an object, had two objectives. One was to write a book which would share the story of my life, which not because I'm narcissistic, I mean, we're all probably egocentric at some level, but but I really thought that there were things that I'd seen or done mm. that maybe not everybody's had an opportunity to sure. that might be of use to others. So I had to write that book, and it took me 16 years. Wow. And then the other absolute uh, determined, you know, something I had to do, and it was a burden was to make a film about uh, Dan and my son and his friends and colleagues, and I just had to do that. Mm. So for 23 years, burden, now it's privilege, I think. Right. I get to do a more of a privilege. Well, and speaking of privilege, you guys were, were um, celebrated at the Toronto International Film Festival just recently. Uh, the film for, and maybe you should talk about a little bit about the film, Kathy, but I, I definitely want to hear more about you and, and, and why. I think <laughs> capital W-Y. Um, but The Journey is the Destination, uh, directed by Bronwyn Hughes, and, and from what I understand was received pretty well. Oh, it was really wonderful. We had the great honor of being given um, the Roy Thompson Hall, which is, the, I believe, the largest screen in Canada. It's really a concert hall that seats about mm, nearly 2,000 people. And I'm told that um, they choose films that they think will really resonate with the audiences mm. for that enormous venue. Nice. And we were so excited because I think there were about a 1,000 films entered into the festival. Maybe 300 were accepted. And just a tiny little, maybe 17, 18, were actually chosen for gala premieres. And we got the, you know, yeah. 30 at night in the biggest hall. I know, so, it's re- that's wonderful. Yeah. So, were you at that? I wasn't. I'm so sorry I wasn't there. I no, and, and I have to say, just uh, it, it was a real uh, a feat of juggling and, and uh, planning and scheduling this year for me. I had about 30 different interviews. It was, oh, gracious. Oh, yeah, but, it, but I, w- I will get out to see the film. Uh, uh, when, oh, yeah, speaking of that let's get a plug in wide theater release is coming but not quite there is that right no and you know this is an independent film right it took us many years to really get it going and it had a, a studio start <clears throat> which is when we attached a phenomenal scriptwriter jan sardi who had just come off of shine mm. uh, where he was nominated for an oscar we um lisa henson who was then president of columbia studios attached bronwyn hughes who was just off forces of nature and these are two extraordinary people. And they, uh, I had the great privilege of working with Jan for about three or four years early on as he was writing the script and crafting it. And he would 
he would call, you know, I would call him almost every day at three o'clock in the afternoon, my time, because it was then Australian time, he had just wakened up, and he would tell me this latest sort of dream world of dreaming new, new scenes and characters, and he, he just always felt that Dan was in that dream world mm. with him. And, and for those in the audience, who most of you who don't know, my son uh, Dan was a young artist, a uh, real explorer, but also a Reuters photojournalist who was killed at the age of 22 while he was covering a story in Somalia. And he was killed together with three other young journalists. Oh, it was a terrible mistake, mm. and the people felt really badly after they'd killed them all. But um, Dan was no longer uh, you know, in a physical presence when Jan was having these uh, conversations with him. So all, all I see is what I haven't done. I mean, I mean, it seems to me from what little I know of you and, and I, I heard, I, I can hear the passion in your voice now and I know my listeners can too. And I could see it at the, at the, at that TIFF on the panel discussion and so on. I mean, a lot of people would just sort of say, you know what, I'm going to celebrate what I have done, but, oh, but you still have so many more um, seeds to plant. And well, and you thank you. And, and seeds is a good word. And I use the word spark. Mm. I love seeds. Um, what I do is I have the, again, I say the honor, the privilege of working with other people who are trying to create projects and productions that will push people to action, incite mm. them to action, catalyze some form of action. We call these people creative activists. And it's a, a, a term we coined many years ago, to describe that creative spark that exists within each one of us that I always think could be used not only for yourself but also for others. Mm. And in 1998, we launched a foundation called Creative Visions, which was the name of my production company, which we'd started in 1990 to make a film about ivory poaching. But Creative Visions exists to support creative activism worldwide. And it's really been fun because uh, we've worked with more than 260 individuals oh, who have projects and productions that art, music, dance, drama, film, that deal with social, humanitarian, and environmental issues, but in a really sort of storytelling fashion. You know, everything's about the story. Right. And what's the story? So they tell stories that need to be told about problems that need to be solved and then attach people to those issues and give them something to do. You can't, in other words, if you're going to be part of our operation, you can't just inform, you can't just inspire, you have to buddy, get, buddy well, get out there and empower people to do something. You've you got to get, you get people yeah. moving. Off their backsides. And how, you know, okay, so I believe me, I'm not looking for the, 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 the one answer, and, and I, I really rail against polarization and debate and conversation and when it comes to political issues and so on. I mean, there's so, I mean, relationships, how can it be either or, right? It's nuanced, mm. it's subtle. But how, how the heck do you get people off their backsides? Is, is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it cumulative over time, Kathy, do you well, think I, so? I love that you said that. I, I, started, I started off in 1988. Uh, I was a journalist in Kenya. And I saw, I was, I was the only journalist allowed on the set of Out of Africa. Wow, okay. And, yeah, it was really amazing, actually. That's, That's one, pretty one cool. Really funny and sweet story, but... <laughs> I, bet, um, I, bet you, I bet you got some yeah. goodies, yeah. I got some, oh man, if you, have, you haven't read my book, In the Heart of Life. I have it's, not. It's a, it's a juicy read. I, I, don't, I don't know, you may be too young. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. That's <laughs> funny. Um, but it, yeah, no, it, I was privileged to be, again, I keep using that word, but I was really good. lucky uh, that Sydney... Well, thank you. Sydney Pollack had read an article that I read on on um, the woman who wrote West of the Night, Beryl Markham. And so he asked, 
if he could go meet Beryl. And at that point, Beryl was 85 and existed on a diet of um, well, mostly nothing except gin and tonics. So it was orange. <laughs> with orange. I've, I'm pretty sure I've done that diet, actually, at one you, point. You know, yes, it's, it's, she yeah. looked great. Man, did she have <laughs> so cheese, cheekbones, everything. She'd had unbelievable life and mm. had been the first person to, to fly from west to east. So um, I took him, but it was uh, urging him to bring along a bottle of gin if she really wanted to have, uh, um, you know, the proper story. Maybe it was vodka, I can't remember. But I, we had a wonderful visit with, with Beryl, and then he very kindly invited me to be able to go on set because it was really like a military operation. Great. But, you know, with that exposure, I, I just realized that journalism was one thing, and it was great, and I loved it. But, you know, the, the newspaper sold maybe 200,000 copies, and then maybe a million people saw it because it was passed around. But with a film, we could really touch a lot of people. Sure. And I thought, wow, you know, if you could do films that had some sort of message in them, certainly entertain, but that had a message, we could shift consciousness around issues. Mm-hmm. And so in 1990, we set up this um, Creative Visions, and the first film was called Lost in Africa, and it was about ivory poaching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and af- following that, then, then other things happened, but I, I'm, I started being um, going into the documentary world uh, and I realized that really you could make an impact, but you can't measure it. Right. And that ultimately, over time, you could shift people's beliefs about things or ideas or concepts. But it's really hard to measure. But me, as the, the age that I am and the perspective I have, I can see that people are shifting. Right. And Al Gore, you know, when he did An Inconvenient Youth, it, he shifted people's thoughts and it didn't happen and he didn't get elected and please i wish he had because we would be way further along in climate change um countering it but he 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 made people think yes and so many of the films that i've had the the great pleasure of being around you know and we're an umbrella for many many extraordinary films and people are waking up the film on rape you know um the hunting game uh that that really woke up people around rape on college campuses People are doing things about it, and I think it awakened them around sexual assault, and that's part of the response right now that people are having uh, right after seeing the tapes that mm. are you know, sort of blatantly um, claiming the, the right to sexually assault other people. So yeah, I, I think we can we can wake people up. So but what, it may what, take time. what's fascinating to me is you've got you've got. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, I've always thought, and it's probably not my quote by any means, but you know, we measure what's what's easy, not what's meaningful. So we we mm. we love numbers, right? So well, two hundred people were there, or we got yeah. our message out to X and Y, but we don't really get down to the the stuff that actually matters. The stuff, you know, the relational stuff that that actually is moving the needle, that is making making a difference. But you you've been at this for a heck of a long time. I think, you know, I, and this is a crazy thing, but I, I think because I, I don't know, I was, it was 1988, I was in Africa, and I had a really good life. I had an amazing life. Um, I had everything. And there was something within me and that that was really pushing me out of that life, and, and it was complicated, and, and other issues uh, arose uh, that, that I'm fully responsible for, but there was also this feeling inside me that 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 I needed to be involved in something besides what I was doing right. you know as far as communications and and it was i you know there in the book I describe it but there were other dimensional elements too which interesting you call it what you will and it doesn't matter but 
it was as though there was there, that I was being told at some subliminal level that that there was something I I had to do, and that and I believe that all over the world there were people who were rising up at that time and and being conscious, being aware, and shifting their gears. And I I talk with lots of people who are involved in conscious media, for instance, and there was a kind of awakening back then uh, amongst many of us. Uh, Marianne Williamson was really just beginning to speak out and and write and. And, and Deepak Chopra was uh, awakened. And, you know, these are great leaders. I was just a, a, a little, um, you know, journalist in Kenya, but I was waking up and I realized the power of, of media. And, and then in, um, after Dan was killed, I really wanted to make a feature film that would wake people up around the belief that young people could mm. act, be activated and, and play a role, you know, and that young journalists were literally dying to tell stories. And we actually made a film called Dying to Tell a Story uh, with CNN and TBS that was one of the first films that, that charted uh, what happens to journalists when they're exposed to such horror and, and, and why they keep doing it. Right, almost that, that, sense of that post-traumatic stress almost. Yeah. And how, yeah. That, how that actually plays out in a variety of ways. I was in, uh, I was in Kenya in 1989. Um, I spent four weeks in Eldoret. I was an electrician on strike at the time, helping to build the medical clinic. I was approached by a group of people, uh, and about uh, 20 of us went on this trip. And it would, to say that it changed my life, I met a guy by the name of Josh. When I, when I speak publicly, I tell everybody about Josh and how he changed my life. And, and sadly, I have no photos of Josh, uh, pre, pre-digital, of course. Uh, yeah. But boy, to say that it, it turned my world upside down is an understatement. Yeah, I recommend it for anybody who's feeling, uh, you know, blase about life or, or <laughs> curious about that there might be more. I, well, I, it, Kenya certainly did it for me and it did it for you and it does it for many, many people. But it, it doesn't have to be Kenya, but I think stretching ourselves. Stretching ourselves, yeah. The sense of waking life, up. Waking up, life begins uh, beyond our comfort zone. So, so I, it's, it's great. That's a great line. But, you know, I don't, I honestly, Kathy, I mean, you sound so positive, but I don't know if people actually believe that. Do you really think they do, that life does be, begin beyond our comfort zones? I don't know what people believe. I know it's what I believe. I think we are phoning it in so much of the mm. time. We are, are living um, almost in a dream. We, and it's not a bad dream, necessarily, right. or it can be. It's just that we get in habits, and we, we... I believe if you chart, you know, they have ways to chart your cell phone movement, and it just tends to be kind of looping back and forth and in and out and over and under. You know, you're not really going very far beyond a, a particular path. And... When you do explore, and, and Dan actually um, he had a wonderful phrase, uh, what's the difference between exploring and being lost? Or there is little difference between exploring and right, being lost. Right, right. The sense of getting beyond just what is right in front of you and you see every day, and we don't see it anymore. I mean, when you drove to town yesterday, do you recall seeing absolutely anything along the way? Hmm. Or were you listening to the radio? Or, you know, we just were, were in a waking dream so often. And I think travel is the solution. And, and when I say travel, I don't mean you have to go to Somalia or Kenya. You can go to an unexplored part of town and open your eyes and go to a restaurant that you would never, ever, ever think of going, you know, try it out. Try pig knuckles. I, I don't, <laughs> try They're very tasty. Somebody testicles. Yeah. Be a bull t- <laughs> you, just try right. something different. Right. Stop being boring. So when, when Dan decides to become um, this explorer... 
if, if I can call him that. Where, where does that put you? Do you feel sort of excited about the path that he's decided to take back at a very young age? And, you know, obviously went on to do great things in the film and so on, and his journals have, have, have impacted and affected so many. Uh, where were you at the time? Wow, it's okay for other people's kids, but I'm not so sure about my own. No, not, not really. My, my parents um, at 90 were still traveling. They went to, I think, probably 70 countries. and Wow. Chicago Council on Foreign Relations. They they were really so they've, they've been to more countries than I have. There's a real there's a real thread here. There's a thread, <laughs> I, and I grew up in Iowa. You know, I, I, I <laughs> right. it's like I don't know what the, the center of Canada, but I grew up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and it's a really wonderful town surrounded by cornfields. And at a very early age, I wanted to know what was beyond those cornfields. Oh yeah, I guess and I so. Was so lucky at 16, I was. Um, selected as, as, uh, to, to go to South Africa as a foreign exchange student, oh, uh, American Field Service. And I was so, <laughs> was the only one who was chosen to go to an Afrikaans school. And it, remember, it was 1963. It was a really long time ago. And uh, apartheid was booming, and the riots in Soweto were happening, and it was a very, very tense time. And my parents you know, sort of sat me down. I didn't even know where South Africa was. I'd, I'd applied right. to the Southern Hemisphere. I thought Guatemala, Mexico, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe Venezuela. I didn't know there was a place called South Africa. And my parents had to really think about whether they wanted me to go to this really dangerous place. But I was being sent to this tiny town in the middle of um, the Orange Free State, which was remarkably like Iowa. So <laughs> I went, and little did we know that the family that I was staying with the uncle, uh, Brom Fisher, was actually the person who was defending Nelson Mandela in the Ravonia mm. trials. So our house was um, watched and our phone was tapped, and it was extremely tense. And it was fascinating, because I was going to school with the, the Boers, who were good people, but they had been brainwashed by the church to believe that black people were, you right. know, right. Not, not exactly, you know, <laughs> people who should be treated as equals. It was a really interesting time. And the irony now is that I work with Kweku Mandela, whose grandfather, he is very aware of the role that Brom Fisher played in saving uh, his grandfather's life. Mm. And it's just so beautiful that, that he and I get to work together. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. The connections you've made along the way, it's just, it's, it's truly remarkable. You know, you, you, you talked about this, um, call it what you want. You said this, uh, this, this, this need you, that you felt to, to this, uh, you know, uh, to be involved. And I think I saw uh, a trailer for the film or, or maybe it was off the creative w the website, but um, talking about Dan and saying this was what he was made to do. Absolutely. Do, do you know where I'm going with this? Like that, that, that sense of being, you know, getting out of bed going, I can't do anything else. I can't do otherwise. I yeah. have to change the world. I have right. to get involved. I have to roll my sleeves up. That's right fascinating away. to me. Well, and thank you. And, and I think that came very much from his upbringing. Right. He was brought up, or we, you know, we moved to Nairobi, Kenya when Dan was seven years old. Mm. He'd been, uh, up until that time, I'd been locked away in, a, in the suburbs of England. Not, you know, because we wanted to be in the suburbs of England, but um, the of London, excuse me. My husband was running a, a computer company, and he was British. And, and I ended up in this sweet little town... Uh, as frustrated as possible to be, because I'd gone to a college, actually Hillary Clinton's college, Wellesley College. Oh, okay. Interesting. It was a year behind me. And I was, we, 
Hillary and I and all everybody went to Wellesley. We're we're absolutely conditioned to engage in the world around us. And I was in the suburbs with two small children, and I was frustrated and really desperate to roll up sleeves and do something that mattered. And moving to Kenya was an explosion, a sort of technicolor dream for me, because most things hadn't been done already. You didn't have to have a Ph.D. or even right. a master's degree. You know, you didn't necessarily have to get a license to do You just, you know, you just did it. Problem. You just did it. And I called them creative, active souls, you know, who are mm. out there making things happen. It's good. And I got to t- tell stories. I talked my way into the newspaper and, and magazines and wrote books, and, and I got to interview the most amazing black, white, every possible shade of people. And Dan trailed along behind me and Amy, mm. and it inspired these experiences. These people inspired Dan. And his best friend was Philip Leakey's uh, daughter, Lara, uh, Louis Leakey's granddaughter, Louis Leakey was the greatest paleontologist, you know, his son Richard is still... Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, Amy was off with Mary Leakey um, exploring Olduvai Gorge, you know, when she was four. Uh, Dan's, Dan's best friend was uh, a young man named Lengai Crows, and Lengai lived on the edge of the Nairobi Game Park. They were running after giraffes and playing with the Maasai warriors when he was 14, 13, 12, 10. You know, so for them, it was perfectly normal right. to ask to drive down to South Africa when he was 17 years old in a battered old Land Rover that he convinced his grandparents to uh, help him buy in lieu of going to college right away. He wanted to, to take a year on, not a year off. But, you know, this was not Such a great phrase, coming out yeah. of outer space, this desire to right. explore. It was because of the people. Well, with, I'm always blown away. I'm always fascinated by by people who 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 do capital D, <laughs> and who do get involved. And I'm I'm always really uh, interested to know what what was it. I mean, I'm not I'm not looking to land on some kind of formula. I teach at Harvard right. College, uh, you know, postgraduate students in international development, and I'm always interested to hear their stories. You know, why this and not so? Why aren't you an accountant? You know, why right. why why do you want to change the world? And so, you know. Uh, it, it, to say that it can't be otherwise, and that's how I feel, and I want everybody to feel the same way, right, Kathy? Um, you know, come on board with me. You know, why don't you care about these things? Or maybe you do, and you just, you know, as you say, we're, you know, we've been captivated by this waking dream. Oh, boy. I think a lot of it is about exposure, and, and uh, you know, what, what do we choose to take in? Mm. And, again, without newspapers... I, I, if people are not reading newspapers, I know they're getting their news online, and that's great, but it tends to be uh, rather um, we choose what we want to read often. So if we're on Facebook, you know, it tends to be people like us who are um, exposing us to something. Right. I, I, I actually still am such a junkie. We get two newspapers every day, the L.A. Times and the New York Times. I don't know how many magazines we get. But but when you're uh, when you're constantly being exposed to challenges in the world around you, it does inc- well either it increases empathy or it just shuts you down. Or it shuts you down, right? Yeah, it's so overwhelming that you just want to turn your face to the wall. But I I think it's it can become addictive, and if if we expose our children to current events and open up our opportunities for them to explore and not be in their bubble, and I worry, you know, I live next door to my daughter, and her husband's a big Hollywood director, and, you know, they have the choice of remaining in a bubble. Um, they could just go to their 
fancy, fancy private school and, and come home and ignore the world. But I know that's not going to happen because... John is is very conscious. Amy was brought up in Africa, you know, in right, London. Right. And there's no way in God's green earth that she is going to allow her children to remain in a bubble. And yet a lot of the kids around her, and it's not an indictment, it's not a judgment. It's just that happens. And then the designer handbags become very important. <laughs> you know, oh my God. And, and it's true. It's so true. How do you, how do you, there's so much noise. There's so much noise. You're right. Oh my goodness. And right now in Aleppo, you know, what's happening in Aleppo is as bad as it gets. And what's happening right now in Haiti, you know, where they've literally flattened that, that much of that country again mm. with, with mm. the hurricane. And then what, what do we choose? How, what do we choose? What battles? I have two, right now 100 projects under our umbrella. Wow. Um, everything from climate change, you know, an it's called an inconvenient use, to um, sex trafficking. To, you know, I, I can go on and on. And what do I choose? Where do I go? Yep. It's well, this is the excuse that I hear so often. You must hear it too, Kathy. Geez, you know, there's just so much. What do, you know, where, where do I get involved? And I think, I think to your point, I think it's, well, start by rolling up the sleeves. That's, that's, you've, mm-hmm. you've got a little bit of commitment there now. And now maybe, maybe research, you know, media and, and then land, land somewhere and, and start to, and start to express, you know, uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Do you know that uh, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, he, he, I love, he said, do what you can with what you have where you are. Right. And to be honest, that just kind of like uh, disarms anyone because, okay. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever get the, and I get this from time to time, but do you ever get the classic, so why there and not here, Kathy? Why, why are you yeah. so worried about people everywhere else but here? I really, what about, what, what I, about those uh, um, um, cornfields in Iowa? I mean, come on. I, I really, really, uh, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, I, and we are increasingly are focusing our attention in that do what you can with what you have where you are. I yeah. never use the word change, uh, at the phrase change the world. It's always change the world around you. Change the world around I think, you, yeah. You know, it's almost easier to send money to, to Somalia than it is to uh, head to Anaheim and see what's happening with sex trafficking sure. and impoverished families in the motels there. Or just down the road, we have, but we have a homeless man on the other side of our wall. Uh, we have a, a number of them. I just I just interviewed Hugh Gibson and his film was at TIFF as well. The Stairs, it's called. You might have heard of it, and he uh, followed the lives of three former crack uh, addicts and uh, one prostitute in Toronto. And essentially, the reviews are: if you live in Toronto, you have to see this film because you haven't seen this part of Toronto, this side of Toronto. And it's it you know it's it's time to become a part of this conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you know we can't shove it off and and I think that that becomes the rallying cry is just look around and and you know what if it's a kid down the block who needs a an, a mentor an elder um or a helping hand or if it's the old person up up up, up in the apartment building you know it doesn't matter you do not have to tackle everything you can tackle one yes. person and, and, one situation and, and Kathy maybe and maybe in a compassionate and inclusive way I mean I you know I don't want to put words in your mouth and maybe it sounds like I am but no. that if you see if you see that person down at the end of the street to me that pre, sort of presupposes a certain amount of empathy already and compassion yes. to say yes. geez I gotta reach out somehow well, and, and fearlessness because right. you can Good. recognize something I, I, I was just the, the most amazing woman last week I was in um, Hawaii with a woman named Scarlett Lewis, and Scarlett is 
her little boy, Jesse, was killed in Sandy Hook, uh, mm. part of that massacre wow. of small children by a tortured, mentally ill young man. And uh, Scarlett's response, based on her son's um, talking a message on their chalkboard, he's, he's six years old, which was Choose Love. Um, Scarlett wow. <laughs> cre- oh, created a, a movement, essentially, which is Choose Love. And her whole point is, you know, you, you have to be compassionate and empathetic, but you have to be fearless. You have to right. not just recognize that there's an issue. You have to go out there and do it. Her message is for first K through uh, 12th graders, and it's called the Choose Love uh, Campaign, Jesse Lewis's Choose Love Campaign. But it's just like, you know, compassion and empathy are absolutely critical. But then the next thing is, right. hey, you know what? You have to connect eye to eye with that person, and it may be a stranger, and sometimes it's just the recognition of another human being in mm. the world. And I, I think you're probably familiar with the namaste, the greeting, the God in me, so it's mm. the God in you. It's yes, like, you know, yes, yes. But I love that in just yeah. being someone. Well, I love, I love the word recognition. I mean, if, if, if you truly do recognize the other, if you truly do, I guess, validate them, whoever that happens to be, it seems to me yeah. that that's a step, it's the step that has to take you in the right direction. Well, I loved what you just said the recognition of the other. And in this world um, of, uh, I'm so sorry, but it is, you know, the tragedy of Trumpology is that <laughs> everybody... Sorry, sorry, I'm Canadian. I'm allowed to laugh, right? You're allowed to Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I hesitate to bring politics... Oh, please do, Kathy, me, please do, yeah. We are, I, you know, fresh off uh, watching every possible news campaign. Oh, I bet. You know, the other. Who's the other? Yeah. Um, the other disabled black women. Everybody's the other and nobody's the other. You know, to to somebody, we are the other. So get over it. Just stop it. Yeah. <laughs> get over it. Um, and recognition that we're all the other, recognition that we are all in this together. And quite frankly, the challenges that we're facing in our world at this moment are only going to be solved if we come together as what I call a global tribe mm. and handle it together. Nice. It just doesn't work any other way. Global tribe is great because that that helps to sort of uh, deal sort of with that question, why here and not there and vice versa. It's not, and again, it's to, to my earlier comment, it's not either or, or, I don't, or at least I don't think it should be. It's got to be yeah. kind of comprehensive and inclusive and collaborative and all those things. But uh, um, Trumpology cracks me up, by the way. Um, and we're watching it quite carefully up here, too. Uh, I, I you think. know, it's just, it's totally addictive. You know, it's the reality show of, of all time. It's just unbelievably, unbelievably addictive. <laughs> And, and, what are we going to do after the election? <laughs> That's right. So yeah, boring. N- yeah, exactly. There's going to be nothing to do. What do you do, Kathy? I mean, I, I just, you know, I've spent uh, some time over the last couple of days on your sites on, 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 and, and, and looking at kind of the bigger picture that is you. How do you recharge? Like, do you, do you collect, like, um, hmm, <laughs> matchbooks or something? <laughs> or, <laughs> or do you, you know, what, what is it? Do you, do you, yeah. Oh, you into funny. bugs? I'm into bugs. <laughs> oh, got a lot of bugs. Um, yeah. You know what? I'm again. I'm so lucky. Yeah. When you finally read this crazy book that I wrote, um, you'll find out. But years ago, um, Amy and I, my daughter, who's just you know my my best friend in the world, we've written a number. We've done seven films together, and we've wow. written a bunch of books together. First book we did was a, a guided journal called Angel Catcher, which was getting through grief. You know, how do you do this? Mm-hmm. And it was for people to fill in. And then we did one called Soul Catcher, which was helping us find purpose in our lives. 
And then we kind of looked at each other, and we'd been working really hard and made these films. And so we did a book called Love Catcher because we didn't have the right love in our lives. And I brought on this, I mean, I materialized this amazing character who kind of invented the design industry in the world and just a, an incredible man. And he was renting his house in, believe it or not, Malibu. You know, Amy and I were living in West Hollywood and not squalor, but we were living in small flats in right, Hollywood, right. eating beans and rice, doing documentaries and writing books. And it was tough, man. So I met this amazing man. He was renting his other house in Malibu to uh, a director named John Turtletaub, who was doing National Treasure at the time, directing. And Amy would come and visit us every weekend uh, where I, when I was visiting Michael. And she met John, and John and she fell in love, and, Amy, and Michael and I, and I married Michael, she married John, and now we live side by side in, Ma- in, 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 in Malibu, you know, in these beautiful really lucky again such luck and we've uh, created a center next door um, above American Apparel this beautiful white building where hundreds of people pass through thousands of people pass through every year and so I have the great joy of living next to Amy and three little kids the youngest is a two-year-old sort of mini me which is driving <laughs> me bananas <laughs> she connects with everything rock stones human beings hi uh, and and I live, you know, next to my work. I, how can I ever, you know, I don't need, I, the recharge comes with, life, right. you know, with, with small children. The recharge is built in. It's built in. Yeah. There. Yeah, the that's recharge fantastic. is going upstairs and talking. Today, I've got five meetings with people who are doing amazing things in the world. Yeah, that's And I get to, to tell them, hey, you, you keep doing it. It's going to be okay. You know, yeah. don't give up. Yeah. And by the way, maybe you might want to consider meeting, blah, blah, blah. You know, what a treat. Yeah, that's amazing. How can I go wrong? The idea of not being able to do this sends me to despair. Right. That would be awful. And um, just to come back, and let's get a couple plugs in here. We're going to have to wrap it up here in a, in a couple minutes. Uh, the book, the crazy book you're talking about is In the Heart of Life, yes? Yeah. It's, in the, it's called In the Heart of Life, and it's an exploration of, of many themes, probably you know, a number of themes. One is that there's another dimension that we can interact with, which, remember, I'm a PBS, you know, filmmaker, I'm a journalist, I'm a CNN, I'm all this stuff. But I believe there's another dimension that mm. we can interact with. I really do. It's a, it's a film, I mean, it's a book about love and passion and suffering. Passion means suffering as well as just love. Mm. And it's a, um, it was really hard to write it, and it's, it reveals a lot about me, and not all of it is good at all. It's, it's, it's a, you know. I can't, I can't wait to read it. Honestly, oh, thank, it, you. It, it, <laughs> thank you. I think you're too young. I don't think you <laughs> I mean, I'm too young. <laughs> you may not want to interview me anymore. That's that's right. That's right. It's gonna, it's gonna change everything. Yes, a dark <laughs> cloud will descend over cloud. David's life. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't think Forget that's. It. Do the other one, The Journey is a Destination. That's Dan's book, and it's just amazing. It's, right. it's a collection of his journey, journal pages, and it's the inspiration for the, the film. Yeah, it's so great. Kathy, I, I hope we can do part two. In fact, I'm almost going to demand it. I was just going to say, I'm going to demand it, damn it. <laughs> You're not getting away from me. That's <laughs> right. This, is rid- this has been way too short. I ask you. <laughs> we got so much to talk about. It's fantastic. I don't even know where to send my listeners. So we're going to put a bio up. We're going to put some links for people. Uh, we'll send them to your website. That's uh, Folks, that's Kathy with a K, Kathy Eldon, E-L-D-O-N dot com. Uh, look, look up the film. The Journey is the Destination, still quite live on uh, tiff.net's site. Uh, the Journey is the Destination by Bronwyn Hughes. And we're 
hoping maybe I'm going to be able to do an interview with her. And then, holy smokes, if that's not enough, um, we've got creativevisions.org. And it just... I'm 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 astounded by what you're up to, Kathy. It's amazing. Thank you. Don't forget Dan Eldon. Right, of course. Dan I'm sorry. So pretty noisy. I call him a noisy soul, noisy spirit. Well, and there's it's such a great and, and and on creative. I think it's on creativevisions.org. There's a really great. What is it? Four or five minute f- film clip that that everybody needs to see about Dan and his life. And it's it's a really nice way in. Um, so I'll definitely direct people there too. Wow, what a pleasure! Thank you so well, thank much. Thank you, love it, David, and and I look forward to hearing your conversations with far more interesting people than me. <laughs> and thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. And listen, I think we need to get a T-shirt. Life be- begins beyond our comfort zones. If that doesn't yeah, already right. exist, I, I don't know if it does, exist. but I think I'm gonna <laughs> go. We got to do something about that, Kathy. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.